Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Hey, so the um, topic for tonight is the Anapanasati Sutta. Um, if those words are foreign to you, um, very simple to explain. Anapana is really in and out breath. And sati is mindfulness. So like the Satipatthana Sutta is the discourse on mindfulness, the basic discourse that um, is the foundation for all the mindfulness instructions. Uh, and this is a discourse on mindfulness of breathing. And uh, as you know, uh, if you've been doing this at all, the breath is often the foundation of people's mindfulness practice. Now, just want to say that the breath isn't universally the right object. For some people, the breath uh, is not so appropriate. Perhaps there's some physical uh, considerations. Sometimes there's been trauma in one's background and the breath is somehow uh, not supportive and maybe even uh, can be uh, triggering. Uh, So I don't want you to think that if you don't use the breath, you're not doing it right. And you might just uh, find that alternatives like the sitting posture or hearing or feeling sensations in the body might be a more appropriate, beneficial home base for you, anchor for you, sometimes it's called. Uh, It's helpful when you're doing the practice, even if you've been doing it for many years, to have some place to return to, to collect the attention on, to, uh, to just come into the present moment. Home base, you know, like when you, if you were a kid and you played tag, and you know when you got to home base, you were safe, you were connected. Well, there's that same value in coming back when you're lost or scattered or confused to some place. And then over over time, more as your practice is, as you're feeling more connected to the moment, opening up more and more so that anything is as good as anything else as far as the subject of mindfulness. That being said... Uh, the Buddha highly recommended breathing as a very good place that he found useful. And it is useful if, it's, if there's not any um, charge or conflict around it because it's a very portable experience. You're taking it wherever you go. So if you can make the breath your friend or a place that you can naturally come back, just like you know, probably 
whether or not you've ever meditated, you, you know, you probably have heard people, you know, say, calm down, take a few breaths, you know, right? It works. If you can calm down and take a few breaths, or, you know, count to ten, breathe and count to ten, ah, yeah. Well, as a, as a vehicle for, um, for focusing and collecting the attention, it's a very helpful one. And this particular discourse highlights how effective it is as a, as a practice. And it is uh, it's a very systematic way that the Buddha uh, presents as a way to use the breath um, in a, yeah, like I say, in a very systematic way, 16 different steps, right? There's not going to be an exam on this, don't worry. You can't fail it. And what we'll share are just seeing ways, different possibilities of, of using it and hearing how the Buddha presented it. And also, as I mentioned before the break, how this you know, wonderful meditation teacher, uh, Venerable Analio Bhikkhu, uh, presented it. And I mentioned Analio a little before, but I'll, I'll mention just a, a bit again. Analio is this amazing mind um, who is both a, a profound scholar, Buddhist scholar, who understands... Um, not just the Pali Canon, which is the, the teachings of the Buddha that have been uh, preserved over the last 2,000 plus years with uh, many, many discourses. This is one book. This is the middle length this discourses. This has 152 discourses. And then there's the, uh, uh, the long discourses uh, the Digha Nikaya, and then there's the Connected Discourses, the Samyutta Nikaya, and the, uh, the, the Numerical Discourses. There's a lot of discourses that have come down to being preserved in the Pali Canon. What's that? Oh, and then there's the Chinese. Chinese, Chinese uh, uh, both in there. See all those books behind me? That's the Canon, both in Chinese and in Pali. And... Analio is not only an expert in the Pali canon, but also in the Chinese canon and the Tibetan canon. And he's, he's kind of unique like that because he's compared all three canons and seeing where they overlap, where it might not be quite what the Buddha was pointing to in the Pali, but this is what it says in the Chinese, and there might be more validity to that way. He's, he's a comparative uh, canon expert. Um, and he wrote some of the most important um, uh, books uh, in recent years on the canon, one particular called, the Sati, uh, called Satipatthana, the direct path of realization on the Satipatthana Sutta, which if you're familiar with Joseph Goldstein, who's my teacher and one of the most uh, uh, respected teachers in our, our lineage, 
Joseph gave a 46 talks on Analio's book on the Satipatthana, and they ended up in this really wonderful, highly recommended book called Mindfulness. And he based that on Analio's brilliant analysis of the Satipatthana Sutta. Besides being a brilliant scholar, who, by the way, speaks 11 languages, you know, kind of like one of these off the charts, oh my God, there's a human mind that can work like that. He's a meditation master, which is really rare to have both a scholar and a meditation master. I mentioned this, I think, here before. When you, when you sit with him, when he leads a retreat, he gives the teaching. In the, he's, he's there when you, you know, when you go to the early morning sitting at 6 o'clock. He's been sitting for about two hours. And then he sits right through, right through breakfast. And he gives some teaching at 9 o'clock. And he says, okay, and uh, you can practice like this. And you can practice and walk and sit. He's just sitting there, like for four or five hours at a time. It was, and he's not doing it to show off. That's the thing. He says he just loves to sit. Right? Um, yeah, it would be kind of antithetical if he did it, was doing it to show off. He just, he just sits and sits, and he's a very deep practitioner. And this very good-hearted, generous warm being um, and uh, he also is very creative he's very you know some of some of the uh, masters who know the the old texts are very mm, rigid in saying this is how you're supposed to do it he's completely different saying this is how I've found it's been working for me. You try and see what's working for you. He gives you not only permission, but encouragement to just check it out, make the teachings come alive in your way. And it's so refreshing to hear that attitude from somebody who really knows about practice. So this eight-day retreat uh, that we went on was all on this Anapanasati Sutta. And I'll share with you how we do it. Um, his, uh, I'll share with you some of the sutta, some of how he presents it, and then we can practice together. Okay. And this sutta comes from this collection, the Middle Length Discourses, also sometimes called the Majima Nikaya. Majima means middle. Uh, middle length, the Majimanakaya, or the middle length discourses, out of the 152, this is number 118, the Anapanasati Sutta. And I'll give you a little bit of a background on the Sutta. Uh, it, the story, the background story is the Buddha was sitting on um, his rains retreat every uh, Every rains season, which is generally for three months, the monks didn't and still don't go around uh, wandering around during, uh, during the rains. They find one place and they practice there. And that's 
like you might know in, in uh, the Insight Meditation Society, in the fall, every fall, there's a three-month retreat that comes out of that tradition to sit for a three-month period. So here's this rains retreat with all the heavy hitters with the Buddha. There's Sariputta and Mahamogalana and Mahakasapa and Ananda and you know all, all, all the Anuruddha, all the, the big stars. They're all sitting there together, right? Uh, with a whole lot of monks. I don't know if there were... Uh, if they were Bukunis at that time, probably not by that time. And so they sit for three months and he finishes, they finish the three-month retreat and he looks and he's really happy with the Sangha. He says, I'm content with this, pro- with, with, with this progress, content with how everything is going. We're doing really great, right? And he says, we're doing so great, let's go for another month, right? Now, can you imagine sitting for three months? Maybe if you're sitting for three months, you know, you're looking to the finish line and then, oh, I made it, you know, and somebody says, oh, one more month we're going for. But he's doing it out of generosity, saying, let's go for it. Let's really go for it. And actually, word gets around that the Buddha is going to be sitting for another month and others who are finishing the, have finished their re, reigns retreat can come and join. So a whole lot of more people, m- monastics, come and say, cool, we got a one-month retreat with the Buddha and, and the heavy hitters. Let's go for it. And then the Buddha, again, this is just the background, says, we've got so many, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, we've got so many great practitioners here We've got, there are, there are practitioners here that are fully enlightened beings, arhats. And still they're sitting. It's not like they're sitting so that they can get somewhere. They're already there. But they're sitting. They're practicing anyway. Just because they, it's a good way to spend your time. So he says, we have fully enlightened beings here. We have, uh, that, and that, by the way, is the fourth stage of enlightenment. And he says, we have um, some that are at the third stage of enlightenment called the non-returner. They're here too. We've got uh, those at the second stage of enlightenment, a once-returner. We have those at the first stage of enlightenment, what's called stream-entry, and he says, you know, isn't this cool? Well, I don't know if he said it that way. He said, this is, we've got lots of great practitioners. He says, and we also have um, those that are, um, that are practicing, let me see, those who are here and they're very diligently practicing the four uh, foundations of mindfulness. They're not yet, enlightened or on either of those, any of those stages. But they're practicing the four foundations of mindfulness. Go for it. And then we have people, uh, monks, who are practicing um, uh, four right efforts. And those that are practicing the five faculties. And those that are practicing the seven factors of enlightenment. 
and those that are practicing the Eightfold Path. He keeps on going that, and he's not saying, oh yeah, well, there's some people that haven't made it. He said, there's a whole range, and even those that are just practicing the Eightfold Path. He goes, keep on going to the, to the more and more, uh, the, early, the newer practitioners. And then he goes, finally he gets to, oh, those that are practicing the Brahma Viharas, those that are practicing uh, impermanence. And then he says, finally he says, and then there are those that are here and they're practicing mindfulness of breathing. And he says, if you're practicing mindfulness of breathing, you have everything you need to go all the way. And that's when he gives this discourse. Okay, so, and how is mindfulness of breathing developed and cultivated so it's of great fruit and great benefit? Here, actually, and now I'll, I'll use Analio's translation right here. I see Kerry saying, okay, we'll get to Analio right here. So he gave the, he didn't get into that preamble and he said, okay, and this is how I see this portion of the, of the discourse, how instructions on mindfulness of breathing. Here, gone to a forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut, what's, one sits down, having folded legs crosswise, you don't have to do that, don't worry about it, keeping the body erect, having established mindfulness to the fore in the forefront, Mindful one breathes in and mindful one breathes out. Right? And then begins these four different tetrads, four tetrads, uh, groups of four instructions. So there's 16 instructions in all. And I'll go through them. Maybe I'll just read one tetrad and then explain it and we'll go that way. Breathing in long, one understands, I breathe in long. Not very complicated, right? You just breathe in long and say, oh, I'm breathing in long right now. Breathing out long, one understands, I breathe out long. Breathing in short, One understands, I breathe in short. Breathing out short, one understands, I breathe out short. Okay? With me so far? Okay. Keeps on getting a little bit more complicated, but... Next, one trains, I shall breathe in experiencing the whole body and one trains, I shall breathe out, experiencing the whole body. And then, one trains, I shall breathe in, calming bodily activity. And one trains, I shall breathe out, calming bodily activity. So this is the first tetrad. Breathing in long and breathing out long. Breathing in short, knowing you're breathing in and out short. Opening to the whole body. And the way Analio says it, 
He says at this point, and there's different interpretations of this, and this is why it was so refreshing to hear him, because one can, can hear, oh, I'm supposed to breathe in and be paying attention to the breath in my whole body and breathing out in my whole body. He says, no, from this point on, you know that you're breathing, but it's peripheral. It's in the background. You know that you're breathing, and he advises what's worked for him and what seems to be his take on it. You then know your whole body is here, and your body becomes the place that you hang out for a while, and your breath is just going on in the background, and your breath is going on in the background now for all the rest of these steps. So the third step, breathing in, I'm experiencing the body, the whole body, and then breathing out, experiencing the body. And then the fourth one, breathing in, calming the bodily activity, and breathing out, I shall breathe out, calming bodily activity. Now, you might have heard instructions that say, just let things be as they are. Don't try to make anything happen. Just allow, if there's worry, if there's agitation, if there's uh, tightness, if there's whatever it is, you just allow that to be there. And that is a basic approach of mindfulness practice. Analia was saying, this particular discourse is for people who are no longer getting lost in the hindrances. They're no longer getting, you know, having to deal with their their worries or their fears or their wants or their... So it starts out at a pretty developed place. Don't worry about it. There's hope for you. We all did the, uh, the, the eight days in doing this and probably many people in that room were working with hindrances. So he says, you just do the best you can. But when you find yourself somewhat collected, this is just something to keep in mind. And it's helpful, it's skillful, not only to know that there's this whole body here, but to actually invite calming the body. There's a line that I, I remember reading many years ago when I was first practicing Calming the breath calms the body. Calming the body calms the mind. Makes sense, doesn't it? So you can use the breath actually to calm the body if you're feeling somewhat agitated. But just to know that it is skillful to calm the whole body intentionally. The tricky part is you can't try hard to calm the body. 
It's like if somebody says to you, you're, you're getting really anxious and, and uh, got triggered in somebody, uh, something, and somebody's saying, relax, just relax. Is that helpful? You know, I'm trying. I'm trying really hard to relax, and it's not working. No, you can't command the body to calm down, but you can invite it to calm down. And you can use the breath to allow some calming. But, uh, and he said something that I, I, it was almost exactly what I often say to people. The mind responds a whole lot better to an invitation than a command. And you can use this both for your, in this, but also in your own practice if you are wanting to invite something, you can simply, what the Buddha called, inclining the mind, an invitation. And the mind is very susceptible. That's how hypnosis works and how you know, we can be very suggestible. Um, you don't have to do this, but you might just do this. And if there's not resistance... Most of us say, "Oh yeah, oh, I'll try that." So you're inviting the body to to calm down. Okay, so that's the fourth tetrad. Uh, so the fourth of this first tetrad. It's the first tetrad. I'll go through the, the tetrads and then we'll do the whole thing together. Next tetrad. <clears throat> One trains. I shall breathe in experiencing joy. I shall breathe out experiencing joy. It'd be nice if you just say, okay, let's press the joy button. Go. But again, this is an invitation. And one of the things that he recommends that I am so appreciative. Uh, He's big on joy and happiness and open-heartedness, which if you know, you know, I wrote a book called Awakening Joy um, and it's it's kind of, uh, joy is not spoken of that much um, often in, uh, even though the Buddha talked a lot about it, but it's not spoken of, okay, uh, this is about joy. Sometimes people can forget when they hear this is about suffering, the cause of suffering, the end of suffering, and the path leading to the end of suffering. That's why I wrote a book about joy, because uh, I lost my joy and, and I, uh, I wasn't really hearing that as a part of the the practice. But here is the Buddha, and Analio really is big on this. I shall breathe in experiencing joy. He says it's really healthy and helpful to bring some brightness and openness to the mind and the heart. And one way that he has of inviting that is to uh, get in touch with. Uh, a moment of wonder or gratitude 
or something that brings you joy. You know, for him, when he was doing the loving kindness meditation and he was having a hard time doing loving kindness and couldn't do the the classical phrases, uh, what worked for him was uh, one day he saw some squirrels baby squirrels rolling around outside of his kuti and he had been trying to do metta loving kindness meditation for a long time and it was just getting more and more contracting and frustrating and he looked at those squirrels and he said oh they're so cute and then he realized oh this is it this is this is what I've been looking for and so he didn't use metaphrases. He just would think of those squirrels. He said, you won't find this in the Pali Canon, but whatever works for you, whatever brings some delight and some joy, and you just kind of tune into that because it supports your practice, breathing in and breathing out, I experience joy. And you can think, reflect in gratitude, or in a spirit of wonder and awe, whatever will open up that channel a bit. So breathing in, I experience joy. And this is what the Buddha suggested, breathing out. The next step, the sixth step, is breathing in, I experience happiness. It's getting better and better, isn't it? And breathing out, I experience happiness. Now you might say, well, what's the difference? Joy, happiness, what are we talking about here? And actually, I've mentioned this from time to time, in the Buddha's way of seeing different states of well-being, joy, which is usually translated as PT, P-I-T-I is the word that often is translated as joy or rapture or bliss, is a very wholesome state, but it's kind of intense and kind of coarse. And it's not so sustainable. And the way the Buddha saw it, the more refined, the less intense and energized, the more refined, the higher the states of well-being. So joy is intense. Wow! Happiness is akin, as he talked about, to contentment. A sense of contentment and well-being and sufficiency and where you're not looking for anything else. (sighs) Breathing in, I experience happiness. Breathing out, I experience happiness. And as Analio suggested, to incline the mind, you might just reflect on the fact that you have everything you need right here, right now. There's a sense of contentment. Oh, I'm alive. How amazing. What a gift. And just rest in that sufficiency and contentment. Not as intense as, wow, how cool, but just, ah, happiness. 
So given that, now that you're kind of starting to create some real spaciousness in the mind and the heart, the seventh step is um, breathing in. I shall breathe in experiencing mental activity. I shall breathe out experiencing mental activity. Okay, so now what, what does that mean? He's saying, your mind will probably still be having thoughts at this point. This is not the higher states of absorption. Your mind is doing its thing. And remember, like I said at the beginning of the instructions, hey, if your mind wanders, uh, don't, don't give yourself a hard time. It's just what minds do. The eyes see, the ears hear, and the mind thinks. That's just what it does. He's, he's not saying, you know, oh my God, how pathetic, you still have mental activity. No, he's just saying, oh yeah, breathe in and know, oh, here's the mind creating thoughts. Okay? It's like you know that the mind is creating thoughts, which is different than being in the middle of the whole whirlwind. That's a big shift from, you know, oh, why did he do that? And I can't, I can't believe I'm, just, I'm thinking this again and I'm stuck here and yeah, what's going to happen tomorrow? Then you're in the middle of all the thoughts. But he says, breathe in and out and notice the mind that's thinking. So there's an awareness that's noticing the thinking mind. And you don't have to be bothered by it at all. And in fact, I think this is the step that he says, either this or the next one. He has this image of a mother with children, her, her children at a playground. And the mother or the father, loving father, is just seeing the kids just are playing around and she's not saying, no, stop and sit and behave. She's just saying, oh yeah, let them play. It's okay. Not bothered at all. Not getting worried or anxious that this kid is, 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 is playing too rough. Just, oh yeah, they're all playing. And in the same way, Oh, one knows mental activity. You're just seeing all those thoughts in the mind and not making a big deal of them. Okay. And then the eighth step is breathing in. One calms the mental activity. One trains, I shall breathe in calming mental activity. One trains, I shall breathe out calming mental activity. And in the same way that one calmed down the body, there you are, the, the mother at the playground, and just saying, okay kids, time to rest now. Time for milk and cookies. Time to just relax. 
not forcing it. You can't force the mind to calm down. You're just inviting the mind to calm down. And the breath, again, can be very helpful. It's all about, or a big part of it, is about learning to just relax. And it's learning to just relax even with the thoughts going on. It's okay. I don't have to be bothered by any of them. They're just thoughts coming and going. I can relax here. The mind can do its thing and I can just relax. And as I relax, it invites a kind of settling down. Okay? You with me so far? Any, any questions so far? We have another eight to go and then we'll do it. <clears throat> Third tetrad. <clears throat> Next is one trains, I shall breathe in experiencing the mind. And one trains, I shall breathe out experiencing the mind. Now, here's where it gets a little bit, can be confusing because. Weren't we just doing that? There's mental activity, and now there's the mind. And this is where, and it was so helpful to hear him kind of tease it out, the way he understands the mind. Not the mental activity, the mental formations, but the knowing what knows those mental formations. That is what he's calling the mind, which is another way of uh, naming consciousness or awareness. If you're familiar with the five aggregates, the five skandhas or five khandhas, there's form, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. And consciousness is that which knows. And it doesn't matter what it's knowing. As I often uh, like to say, quoting one of my colleagues, awareness doesn't care what it's paying attention to. Awareness just is. It knows, it meets the object. And this is... One way of thinking of it, the awareness that shines through you. I've done this uh, in the past. As you're, as you're looking, if you look up front and you're looking at this form called James, if your eyes are functioning, not, not you know, just to be uh, um, aware and sensitive, not everyone's eyes uh, function, you know, mine barely do now they now they come back but for a while I could uh, my eyes almost you know didn't function uh, but if your eyes are functioning can you not see me can you look at this form and not see me can you turn off your awareness you can't 
It's just shining through you, right? Can you, if your ears are working, can you not hear me? Can you turn off your awareness and say, unless you stuff your ears, you know, uh, or have those, you know, Beats by Dre or whatever, you know. Can you, can you not hear me? Your awareness automatically knows. And where he says, I shall breathe in experiencing the mind, he, uh, Analio, says the Buddha is pointing to this knowing that's happening all by itself. So just tuning into becoming aware of the awareness that knows. Oh, breathing in, I experience mind. Breathing out, I experience the mind that knows. So you're turning away from the objects to that which knows. Okay, that's the ninth step. The tenth is... One trains, I shall breathe in, gladdening the mind. And one trains, I shall breathe out, gladdening the mind. So here again, he's back to that well-being stuff. right? And this is the Buddha, remember, saying it's good and skillful to open to well-being. What does that mean? Here we are first experiencing the mind, the knowing, and now we can gladden the mind. And as I recall, what Analia was saying was really um, delighting in the knowing. Did you ever ask yourself, how did... I get here? How did, this is a question I used to ask a lot when I was a kid. How did life, I didn't quite say it in these words, but how did life come together as me and it knows itself through me? How did consciousness get in there? Have you ever asked that question? You know? I always think of that David Byrne's song, the Stop Na- Making Sense uh, song, says, you know, you may ask yourself, how did you get here? You know? It's a very profound question. And when you kind of turn yourself, turn it around, wow, what is it that knows itself? It can really create the sense of a whole deeper level of awe and wonder and and gladness, just life experiencing itself. So that's the uh, 10th. And then the 11th step, one I shall breathe in, one trains I shall breathe in concentrating the mind and I shall breathe out concentrating the mind. And this is where different people have different ways of understanding concentration. And some are saying the Buddha is talking about 
deep states of absorption, jhana, where there's a deep absorption and focusing of the mind. But Analio says, you don't, you don't have to wait until you have... That takes very special circumstances to have those states of absorption. He's, and he says, rather than thinking of it as focusing, or as he makes the, the, uh, uh, the illustration, that rather than it being this, just getting everything out of the way and just focusing laser-like, he talks of concentration, samadhi, as a kind of unification. So rather than this, he says, this is a movement towards collecting, composing the awareness. So one concentrates the mind, again, not by trying hard, just by inviting a unification. And by this step, this is, you know, if you were doing this over, over time, you, you'd be in retreat and having a fairly collected awareness if you're going for the deeper states, but you don't have to wait for that. And we can do this in just a little while. Just inviting a kind of unification. And then the 11th step, sorry, the 12th step, I shall breathe in liberating the mind and I shall breathe out liberating the mind. What does that mean? And Analio points out simply liberating the mind is removing any kind of identification you have with this mind that knows, with this consciousness. Liberating in the sense of seeing through identification, which means not taking ownership, not, this is my pure awareness, you know. My pure awareness is pretty cool, you know. My pure awareness is even better than yours, you know. There can be so much of a, of a taking ownership of that, of that capacity and seeing through it, the liberation is seeing, it's not mine. I don't own this. This is just life expressing itself through this form. And the liberation is in liberating ourselves from any kind of identification or an ownership of it. Okay, and uh, any, any, we'll just move on. Okay. So now we come to the last tetrad, 13 through 16. So there you are. You are tuned into the consciousness that knows and you're not taking ownership. It's not yours. It's just knowing. And now this last tetrad is more around deeper understandings of basic reality. First is 
one trains, I shall breathe in contemplating impermanence. One trains, I shall breathe out contemplating impermanence. Now you might think, what's new about that? Isn't that what we start with? But he's saying, when you have gone, collected and gone deep, and you're not getting lost in your thoughts, you penetrate in a very deep way and understand the nature of reality that everything is coming and going, everything is coming and going on the most subtle level to the most uh, macro level. You contemplate impermanence and you see the nature of reality, which is liberating. And the next few steps talk about this deeper kind of liberation. The next step, one trains, I shall breathe in, contemplating dispassion. And I shall breathe out, contemplating dispassion. The word dispassion, uh, viraga, it, it can be a tricky word. Sometimes it seems like, you know, oh, I'm not supposed to care about things. But what he's talking about is uh, you are not as enchanted by things. And he, there's the example that uh, I think it's given in the suttas of um, cloth that's been in a dye that's you know very intense dyed cloth and then you put it in water and little by little the bright colors fade away or over time they fade away and he's saying and analio says you know just having that that sense that what seems so entrancing the allure fades away and you see oh this isn't going to do it for me. And so you're not as entranced and you have what is called dispassion, which is a tricky word for some people. It seems like, does that mean that you're just kind of a zombie or it's like, you know, chalk or, you know, it's a very bland, neutral thing? No, it's a, it's a really profound um, loosening of the grip of wanting in the subtlest levels. Okay. On to the 15th step. I shall breathe in contemplating cessation. And one trains, I shall breathe out contemplating cessation. And cessation is another one of these really powerful words. Some take it to mean cessation of consciousness and having the experience of um, not being around, of entering into Nibbana. He talks about it as a much more accessible kind of cessation, where when you're tuning into impermanence, 
besides seeing everything coming and going and coming and going, you're tuning, you start to tune into the fact that it's all going, it's all going, it's all going. Now it's true, you can look at impermanence in a, f- in a number of different ways. And along with everything going, there's infinite creativity. It's always transforming. But tuning into the cessation part, you're tuning into the fact that there's nothing to hold on to, nothing to hold on to. It's all just moving through like, like sand in, a, in an hourglass. Nothing to hold on to. Or holding on to that which is changing. Uh, as Joseph Goldstein says, you get rope burn. You know? And so you tune into how it's all just slipping away, slipping away, slipping away. Nothing to hold on to which leads to the final step. One trains, I shall breathe in, contemplating, letting go. One trains, I shall breathe out, contemplating, letting go. The ultimate relinquishment, it's the word often is used is relinquishment, but he just says, letting go. Just keep in mind the complete freedom of not doing anything. Complete relaxation, complete surrender, and that is opening to the awakened state. So, let's try it. We have about seven minutes here. Okay. Sorry, to, it, it took a little bit longer. We didn't quite make it on the short end uh, tonight, as, uh, as I had hoped. But let's just play, and you're playing around with this. You are not trying hard. This is not a pass-fail test. You're just playing with the mind. So first, let your attention come to rest in the body, as he says, Be aware of the mind resting in the body as the body rests on the cushion or the chair. And leave all your troubles, your cares and responsibilities at the door. Analyo says it's a beautiful image. Now, it's, it's... Not time for that now. And then he actually starts with formulating your your motivation. Why are you inspired to do this? So that your heart is in the process. What inspires you? And now Breathing in a long breath. Take some nice, long, deep breaths. Breathing in and breathing out. And know that you're breathing in long and breathing out long. One knows breathing in long and breathing out long. 
and then let the breath find its own rhythm and let it naturally shorten in its own way. And know you're breathing in a short breath. Breathing out a short breath. In order to know the difference, you have to be really present for it. And even if some breaths are longer or shorter, just notice, is this a long breath or is this a shorter breath? And now, letting the breath be in the periphery, become aware of experiencing the whole body. Just let your awareness rest in the body. Sitting here, whatever you notice, all of the sensations, just relax and receive. Breathing in and out, I experiencing I experience the body. And now, breathing in and out, I calm the body, calming the bodily activity. If you like, you can take some deeper breaths if it helps and just Relax, invite a sense of calm. And allow whatever is here to be here. Hmm. Breathing in and breathing out, I calm the bodily activity. Now breathing in, I experience joy. Breathing out, I experience joy. <clears throat> you might reflect on something that opens your heart. Something that delights you with a sense of wonder or gratitude. And if something does, then just delight in it and enjoy it. And now breathing in, I experience happiness. I'm breathing out. I experience happiness. Think in terms of contentment. Right now, you have everything you need in this moment. Let yourself open to that sense of well-being. 
and just relax into it. I shall breathe in experiencing mental activity and breathing out mental activity. Just notice the mind do its thing. All the thoughts just doing their thing. No problem, nothing to fix. Like a mother with her children at the playground. And now breathing in and out, calming the mental activity. Just let the children know they can relax. No need to get disturbed by any of it. Just inviting a sense of ease and calm. One trains, breathing in and out, experiencing the mind. The mind that knows. Just turn your awareness to the knowing. This consciousness, this awareness that knows all by itself. And as you tune into that, breathing in and out, gladdening the mind, just let yourself enjoy the mystery of consciousness moving through you. Breathing in and out, concentrating the mind, just getting a sense of unification, all part of the whole, nothing left out, just connecting and collecting. Concentrating the mind. And now breathing in and out. Liberating the mind. Let go of any ownership. It's not yours. You don't control it. How freeing, liberating 
any identification with this mind that knows. And with that freedom, I shall breathe in, contemplating impermanence, and breathing out, contemplating impermanence. Tune into the fact that everything from subatomic molecules to galaxies, it's all in flux. Breathing in and out, I contemplate dispassion, nothing to hold on to, nothing to get entranced by, all just fading, no matter how alluring, nothing that will give lasting happiness dispassion. And breathing in and out, one contemplates cessation, all ending Nothing lasts, nothing stays. One moment ending after another, after another, nothing to hold on to. Contemplating cessation One trains, I shall breathe in, contemplating, letting go. I shall breathe out, contemplating, letting go. Let go. No doing, no trying. Just surrendering. Slowly, when you're ready, let yourself come back into your body. You might feel yourself sitting here, perhaps move a pinky or wiggle your toes or very gently 
come back at your own rate into the room. Notice how it feels, whatever you experience. It's late now, so I think we'll just kind of leave it here and dedicate whatever good that comes from our practice here together to the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all know freedom and peace and ease and liberation. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.